2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1, the Bible says that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Yes, Josiah is waving. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left hand. Then it talks about what he did in the eighth year. He began to seek after God. Verse 8, it says, Now in the eighteenth year of his reign, he began to purge the land of, of all sorts of idolatry. Listen to what it says in verse 8 of Second Chronicles chapter 34. Now in the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. The Bible says that when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the land. I want you to skip forward, if you would, to chapter 35. Chapter 35, just reading a couple more scriptures here. Verse 18. Verse 18, the Bible says, There was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. Verse 19, it says, It was in the eight year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. I'm here to teach from this life and the life of those who led up to the life of Josiah from this subject, who wants revival? Who wants revival? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much again for allowing us to come together for the purpose of worshiping, singing, blessing your kingdom through honoring you and paying our tithes and giving of our offerings. I thank you, Lord, for your word that is available to us. I ask that you will help me, Lord, be led of your spirit to speak your word and not my own, and let us all have an ear to hear what the spirit would say to the church. Help us to have a heart to receive it and then apply it in our lives. We want to live for your glory. We want to live, Lord, in a way that honors the name of the Lord and blesses your people. We thank you for this moment, and Lord, we take advantage of it, giving our whole attention to the hearing of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Who wants revival? Does anybody want revival? Amen. I want revival. Josiah, we happen upon his life, and he is one of the kings of Judah that uh, probably many of you in this room have heard of before. Now I say that because there are some kings of Judah and some kings of Israel that perhaps you've heard of and you don't really remember or maybe you just feel like you've never heard of them. But Josiah is one of those individuals that is a favorite character in Sunday school lessons and classes. Can anyone imagine why? 
Josiah was eight years old when he became the king. You know, and if you want to relate with a child, you know, you, you, you would love to have a character that they could relate to. And there's nothing like an eight-year-old Bible character that lends itself to make that bridge possible. Now, we read about this character, Josiah, uh, because he was an individual that did what was right in the sight of God. The Bible says he did not even go to the left or the right. He just kept focused, kept right on the path that he was supposed to be on, Josiah. Now, we find that he became king when he was eight. We know that it was uh, eight years from that that he began to purge the land, to cleanse the land of all of its wickedness that had and, and backsliding state or uh, idolatry that had come up and risen up. We find that he, that was when he was 16 years old. Later on, when he is uh, 26 years old, his 18th year of being king, we find that he orders a restoration project of the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord had become a storage house for images of false gods and uh, just had broken down into decay and become pretty much obsolete as far as being used for worshiping the Lord God, our creator. That was when he was 26 years old. So you find this young man becoming king when he's eight. He, he leads the, his kingdom that he has influence with at 16 years old to begin to take down all of these false images, destroy any uh, forms of idolatry or the practice of worshiping things other than God as gods. And then by the time he's 26, he's leading this restoration or let's say it's revival. Uh, because to have a revival really is to revive something that had died. Someone dies on the operating table, they do their best in the room to do what? To revive that body, to bring it back to life. And so Josiah led Judah to revival. Now, to see this from coming from a young man, 8 years old, becoming king, 16 years old, doing these acts of righteousness, 26 years old, he is, he is leading the restoration and revival in all of Judah. One would be led to think, if you did not know the context, one might be led to think that Josiah must have had some stellar roots. He must have had some parents or grandparents, or both, that really made the difference in his life. For doesn't the Bible say to train up a child in the way they should go? And there are a few days that pass that I do not specifically thank God that I had parents that trained me up in the way I should go. If you had parents that trained you up, whether you stayed the course or not, whether you wandered and then came back or not, but you had parents that led you up with morals, and even if you had the great advantage of being brought up in truth, you ought to thank God for your upbringing. You ought to honor the training that you received and the house you received it in. And of course, if you are a parent of a child that is still under your roof and under your watch, then you ought to take that as a grave responsibility to train up that child. But if you study the Bible, you'll find that Josiah's roots were anything but good. They were rotten to the core. Now, 
I say that with, with not really giving, I guess, credit to his great-grandfather. You go to his great-great-grandfather, Ahaz, that man was just super wicked. You go to his great-great-grandfather, uh, or excuse me, his great-grandfather, Hezekiah, the Bible says Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of God. He did what was pleasing to God. In fact, one of the most well-known stories of Hezekiah's life, maybe if I had a show of hands and we took time to go around the room, perhaps you would come up with this story about Hezekiah's life that is perhaps one of the most well-known. The Bible says that Hezekiah, who did what was right in the sight of God, became very sick. Imagine that. Someone that did right, but got sick. I thought that if you did right, you'd never get sick, right? No, we know that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, just as well as the sun shines on the righteous and on the wicked. And so we see Hezekiah becomes deathly ill, that it even merits the visit from a prophet, and the prophet comes to him and says, Hezekiah, he is sent of God with one message. Hezekiah, you're sick, you're going to die soon, so get your house in order. I don't know about you, but I would love that kind of visit, or at least I think I would. I would love that kind of visit that would warn me that my time on this earth is about to expire. I don't know about you, but especially when I was younger, you know, and I might might not always walk that straight and narrow. To have a heads up when you're going to die, man, that sounds like a get out of jail free card. Absolutely. And, and this is what he had. He said, listen, you're going to die, so get your house in order. Now the reality is, for most of us, if not all of us in this room, we're not going to get that heads up. We're not going to get that breaking news headline in our lives that will warn us when our days are about to expire. So I've got a little bit of advice for you. Why don't you live each day as though it might be your last? Why don't you live now, set your house in order now, as though you do not have tomorrow promised to you? Hezekiah had the advantage of knowing that his time was coming to an end. And we see that the prophet, he walks out of the room and he doesn't even reach the gate of Hezekiah's house. And Hezekiah, he is, he's gone full-blown into travail. I mean, he is weeping and wailing. He's crying out to God. He's asking to be spared this untimely death. And God says to the prophet, get back to the house and tell Hezekiah, I'll give him 15 more years. So he recovers. Of course, some of you might even know the part where the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, you will find uh, these stories that I'm giving you tonight, not only located in 2 Chronicles, but you'll find them in 2 Kings and in the book of Isaiah because Isaiah prophesied to these individuals. And so to get a full picture of truly what these stories have to offer us, Read the lives from the three books. And we find that God gave a supernatural sign that the word of the prophet that he would live 15 more years would come to pass. And the sign was that he would cause the sundial and the shadow that was cast by the sun hitting the sundials to turn 10 degrees backwards, which is about 20 minutes of time, making the whole 24-hour day 40 minutes longer. 
the supernatural sign that could only be explained by the God factor. And so we see that the 15 years uh, are added. And while he's sick, though, he gets a letter. <laughs> he gets a get well letter from the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon wishes him well. And of course, Hezekiah says, I, good news, <laughs> I just got a clean bill of health. And the ambassadors that brought the letter to Hezekiah said, hey, can we see what you got? Can you open up the vault? Can you show us what, how rich you really are? And Hezekiah is like, you know what, man? Yeah, absolutely. Come on in. And he starts opening up every room of the house. He shows them everything that he has. Now, mind you, that this meeting is not really by accident. Right at this point, Assyria is the superpower of the world. Assyria just took captive the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. And Babylon and the king of Babylon is a little intimidated, and they want to be the next on top. And so guess what the king of Babylon really wants from the king of Judah, Hezekiah? Hey, we got to make an alliance. Because if we don't make an alliance, Assyria is going to do to you and me like he did to the king of Israel. And so he was looking to make an alliance. And no doubt, perhaps in Hezekiah's mind, he said, that's a pretty good idea. Come on in. See what I got. Let's join forces. But remember this, that whatever we trust instead of God will one day turn on us and it will destroy us. And that is exactly what happened. That prophet came back with one more message and said, what did you show to Babylon? And Hezekiah said everything. Well, guess what? They're going to take everything. Now, I don't know about you, but the influence on my life was a little less from my great-grandfather and more so from my grandfather and father. Now, while we're focusing again on Josiah's life and how Josiah, an eight-year-old king, could lead revival at his six, uh, 16 years old and 26 years old, I don't think that we could credit to Hezekiah and how he led righteously. I don't think his influence was that strong over Josiah's life. Perhaps their lives did not even intersect with one another. But I know that Josiah was far more influenced by two men his father, and his grandfather. His grandfather was Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And watch this. He reigned for 55 years. I believe, and I would have to fact check this, but I believe that Manasseh was the longest reigning king over Judah or Israel or the combined all of Israel. We know that David and Saul and Solomon all each reigned for 40 years. But Manasseh reigned for 55 years. And after Manasseh was his son or the father of Josiah, his name was Ammon. Ammon only reigned for two years. You talk about a serious stunt in the legacy. Going from 55 years to two years. Well, let me tell you about these two men. Manasseh was terribly wicked. Everything that Hezekiah did right, Manasseh, it was as though he wanted to be as rebellious as he possibly could against his father. 
That never happens, right? You get raised in a house, and when you get free from daddy's rule, you do everything opposite of what dad or mom did. That never happens, right? Some of you are getting nervous. You feel like God's about to call you out. Manasseh, he was terribly wicked. His father destroyed the altars to pagan gods. But when Manasseh took rulership or reign, he rebuilt every altar to the false gods. He set up their images. And all that his father took a stand against and tore down, Manasseh rebuilt. Because he knew better than his dad. Right? During his long reign of 55 years, Manasseh, listen carefully, Manasseh plunged the kingdom of Judah into her darkest hour of idolatry. This wicked king had nothing but contempt for the God of his father, Hezekiah. He led God's people into greater evil than the pagan nations that Joshua had destroyed in his conquest of Canaan. You remember this story? Moses leads them up to the Jordan River. Joshua leads them over the Jordan and conquers Canaan and divides it and that becomes the promised land that Israel inherits. And there were many nations that ruled in that land that God led Joshua to destroy from the people of Israel. But the Bible pays special note of Manasseh. And he says of Manasseh's reign that Manasseh led the people of Judah to do far worse than the people who never knew God that lived in the land of Canaan. You've got to ask the question. Because we're talking about the kingdom of Judah. Judah means praise. Praise to God. This is God's chosen people. It is from the kingdom of Judah that would rise up the star of Bethlehem, the Savior of the world. It is through this holy lineage that the Messiah would come. Why would God allow Manasseh to reign? And not just to rule as king, but for 55 years. Brother Walker, I read stories in the Bible of kings that did less than Manasseh and God smote them dead. <laughs> There's some grotesque stories in there. One of them is the guy was eaten up with worms. They spilled out of his body when he died. But Manasseh, he reigned for 55 years. Why would God allow Manasseh to influence Judah to do such terrible wickedness here's the answer and you might not like it and i might not like it but it's the answer you see god does not always remove ungodly leaders or leadership from their positions of influence but rather he holds responsible his people for requiring their leaders to align themselves with his word he expects his people to reject any false ideas or leadership from any leader who is not faithful to the teachings of God's holy word. And so in this way, God tests his people and his, their loyalty to him, to his revelation, to his godly standards. Let me tell you right now that while, yes, I have the honor of serving the Refuge Church as the pastor, I am not your king. 
I am a minister to this flock, to this assembly. And let us not forget that the word minister means servant. I am a servant to this people. I take that humbly. I take that very reverently, very gravely. But understand that if you ever hear me begin teaching things that are contrary to what you've already received, I say like the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Galatians and he said, listen, if I or an angel of God come preaching any other gospel unto you, then let me be a curse. Leave me and forsake Forsake me and never forsake the truth that you have been given. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. The Bible records that God would attempt to speak. Now this is very important before we move on. Manasseh, this wicked, wicked, wicked king. We cannot emphasize his wickedness enough. This wicked king did awful, despicable things, abominable things, this wicked king. The Bible specifically says, Brother Joe, that God sent messengers to him and to the people to say, you need to change your way. One of those messengers was Isaiah. Isaiah was warning them, listen, you got to get your way straight. you got to get your act together. you got to get your house in order. And the Bible says that he or they would not listen to anything that the messengers of God had to say. Now watch this. The king of Assyria, the king of Assyria comes and he takes the king of Judah, Manasseh, into captivity. The Bible in the King James uses strange language that unless you study it out, you might not really understand. It says that it found him among the thorns and put him in chains. When you study what scripture says, and also what history says about Assyria, what Assyrian kings would do is they would go up to the kingdom that they conquered and find its king and they would pierce the king's nose and put a ring through it to lead that king wherever they wanted him to. And that is what the Bible says happened. That Manasseh, he was taken prisoner with a ring in his nose being led about wherever Assyria would tell him to go. Now, we don't know exactly the details of how it happened. It's very likely that it could have happened when Assyria fell to Babylon. Remember, Babylon wanted to be the next superpower. It could have happened during that time. But we know this, that while Manasseh, the king of Judah, was in captivity to Assyria, the Bible says that he raised up his voice in great distress and he cried out to the Lord to save him. Now, if I were God, I'll tell you what my reaction would be. Ha! Right. I'm going to help you now that you're in trouble. But when I tried to send all my messengers to you and you wouldn't listen and you did all the things that Hezekiah told you don't do and you set up the false images and the God and all of that, you did all these things. No, I'm not going to help you. But that's not the God of the Scripture. And that's also a good reason why I'm not the Lord. Because the God of Scripture, your God and my God, you know what he did? He listened to wicked Manasseh when he cried out in distress and he answered his cry and delivered him out of his prison. Try to make sense of that. 
Yes, I know that the God of the Old Testament seems like a harsh God, a God of judgment, but you know what? We get these glimpses of this God who is long-suffering, and he's slow to anger, and he's merciful. I'm talking about the God of the Old Testament who was manifest to us in the face of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It's the same God, and even though you might live a terrible life filled with wickedness, and you'll forget God altogether, and you'll do all all sorts of things that are contrary to his word, contrary to his will, refuse to listen to his messengers. I'm telling you that we serve a God who when you were at your lowest point and you hit rock bottom and you know that it was your own disobedience and rebellion that got you there. If you'll cry out to God then, he'll still hear you. He'll still hear you. If you're thankful that God showed you mercy a time or two in your life when you knew you did not deserve it, would you clap your hands, lift your voice, and thank God right now? Hallelujah. 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 The Bible records that from that point on, Manasseh, he said, the Lord is God. I, I recognize you now, Lord. Here's the problem, though. The damage was already done. Oh, God spared Manasseh, but the damage was already done. Hear me, somebody. The influence was already distributed. And the people had already followed their great leader into pagan practices and forsook. You're talking over the course of 55 years, things grew rather deep and dark. So while God saved this leader, those who were under his influence, the children of this nation's father, the children, had already stepped outside of the covenant of God They were in a dark place. Manasseh's reign was over, and Ammon, he became king at 22 years old, and he reigned only two years. Do you know why? <laughs> because the people in his own court killed him. They conspired to kill him. And then the people of the kingdom killed the conspirators. You want to talk about messed up? For any of you or anyone that you might meet, that would like to look at Scripture and say, you know, or maybe they don't look at Scripture, but they look at the church and say, you know what, that's not for me because, you know what, that's just filled with perfect people. That's for people who have it all together. Let me tell you, the Bible pulls no punches. It sets the record, record straight, and it shows the flaws and failures of humanity just as they are. And you'll find many times you're reading Scripture and you realize, you know what, these people were a mess. They were a mess. Enmon died just after being king for two years. And then came Josiah. Now put yourself in Josiah's shoes. The great influencers of your life. Your father. Your grandfather. Were as wicked as they come. That is your legacy. That's your lineage, that's 
where you come from. That's the house you grew up in. They didn't come any more wicked. And Josiah becomes king at eight years old. And eight years after becoming king, he's 16 years old and he begins to seek after God. Oh. Here's what I'm convinced of, church. There was, there was a priest, Helkiah. And there was a scribe, Shaphan, who somehow through it all, through the reign of darkness of Manasseh and Ammon, they somehow still had hearts that were inclined toward the Lord. And perhaps their prayer was this, God, give us a king who would seek after you. And when the opportunity came to have this small child, this eight-year-old boy, become king, but yet under the tutelage, the teachings of the priest, of the men of the cloth, the men of the word of God, an eight-year-old boy whose father and grandfather were terrible addicts. And you just, you fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill it in. They were terrible and wicked, but yet an eight-year-old boy still was young enough to be shaped by men of the Word of God, of the law of the Lord. Now let me tell you, this high priest and this scribe, they were severely lacking in some uh, integral and important tools that they need in their leadership, their spiritual leadership. You understand the temple was in disrepair and things were missing that were important ingredients for revival. They wanted revival. So they brought up this eight-year-old boy and by the time he turned 16, hallelujah, Listen, we've got eight-year-olds here at the Refuge Church. We've got 16-year-olds and people that are there about their ages. And don't tell me uh, that they're too young to do anything for the kingdom of God. They're too young to have any influence or leadership here at the Refuge Church. I believe that God could use eight-year-olds. God could use 16-year-olds. 16 16-year-olds. 16 God could use teenagers. That's why here at the Refuge Church, we will always invest in our children's ministries and in our youth ministries. Why? Because though some of these children might not have the past, they may not have the home, they're still worth investing in because he might use to lead revival. And I don't know about you, but I want revival. I want revival. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep on investing in our children. And I'm going to keep on investing in our teenagers, our young people, and our children. <sighs> if I want revival... I know better. I've got to keep investing in the generation that is coming up behind me because the time is going to come where they will begin to seek after the God of David. Yes, it says the God of David. While he has his lineage traced back to An and Mon and Manasseh, he said, I'm going to serve the God of my father David. I'm going to reach way back to the original. I'm going to reach way back to the one who sought after God with all of his heart. And I believe that if we're going to stay true to the path that leads to revival, we got to go back to those old paths. We got to go back to the God of Moses and then go to the experience of Pentecost. We've got to trace back to those paths. Somebody say amen. Twelve years in, at the age of 20 years old, Josiah turned away from the paths of his father and his grandfather, those paths that they walked down, and he sought to dismantle and destroy everything that they had built up 
is a lifestyle that is acceptable in their nation. And it's the 18th year. It's the 18th year of him being king. And he set out to repair the house of the Lord. This is where it gets interesting. So up to this point, if they're going to have revival, if they're going to build, if there's going to be a restoration project, there first had to be a destruction project. They displaced and destroyed everything that took their eyes off the Lord. They decided we are going to destroy everything that comes between us and our God. And when they meant business, it reminds me of John the Baptist when he turned to the Pharisees who came to be baptized and he turned to the crowd who came to be baptized of him. And John the Baptist said, I'm not baptizing you until you bring forth works, meat for repentance. What that means is he says, unless you show me and the actions that you are really going to turn away from sin and turn towards the Lord, I'm not you're not a candidate for baptism yet which is still what Jesus preached when he came around. He required two things. He and the apostles required two things for baptism, faith and repentance. Repentance must come before cleansing and renew, uh, regeneration or new birth. And so Josiah led this campaign of destruction, destroying all these things. And in the 18th year, 26 years old, he said it's time to turn our attention to the house of God. It's time to build that place of worship. He went into a building project, church. He went into a building project and he said, you know what, we've got to repair the walls. We've got to clean out the house. And we've got to make things right at the temple, at the house of the Lord. The Bible says that he took up an offering and he gave an offering. And he hired skilled laborers and he trusted them. He gave them the finances and he says, I trust you guys to do what you need to do. They started building up the walls, cleaning out the house. And in the middle of the project, the Bible says that they found a book. Hokiah was in one of the chambers of the house of the Lord. The Bible says that he found a book. And he takes the book and he takes it to the scribe, the man who knows the word or should know the word. And he takes the book to Shaphan. He shows him the book. And sure enough, he confirms, it's the books of Moses. It's the law of God. It's the first five books of the Bible, probably, a copy of them. Now think about this. Shaphan and Helkiah were training up Josiah from eight years old without the word. Now they got the word. And they take the word, and they go back to the king. And Shaphan goes to the king and the first thing he says is, oh, King Josiah, listen, this is the building project update. This is what we got going on. Everyone's doing the work. It's getting cleaned up. And he says, oh, yeah, we found a book. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, we found a book. He says, read from the book. He starts reading from the book. And King Josiah. When he heard the words of the book, he tore his clothes 
in great distress and cried out to God. You see what this tells me, church? Is that this was likely the first time that he heard the law of the Lord. And all of this time, all of this time, he was living to the best that, that he could and he was following the counsel and the advice of, of his advisors. But they didn't have the word. And maybe they were sincere in their faith, but still some things were not completely correct in their lives. But when he heard the word, ah, it cut his heart. Tore his heart and his clothes and cried out to God. And he told Shaphan and Helkiah, go inquire of the Lord. Immediately, he said, go inquire. He commanded them, the Bible says, go and inquire of the Lord. And so you know what they do? They go to the nearest prophet, the nearest preacher in town. With urgency, Helkiah and Shaphan went to inquire of the Lord. They found a preacher. The Bible says that when they came to Huldah, that Huldah began to prophesy and began to speak. And the prophetess, this woman of God, that they ran to to hear a word from the Lord. Huldah began to speak and say, thus saith the Lord. And begin to say that everything that is written in the book will come to pass. And the kingdom of Judah will be destroyed. But this great prophetess, this great woman of God looked at the high priest and the scribe and said, hold on, I've got more. I've got more from the Lord. And Huldah, she continued to lift up her voice and said, let that king know who cried out before me, who tore his kingly robe and humbled himself before me. Let him know that the Lord sees that and hears that. And peace be upon him and peace be on his kingdom and his kingdom will be righteous. It's interesting to me that during this lifetime, she, they, Hilkiah and Shaphan, they could have ran to Isaiah. They could have ran to Jeremiah, the big prophets in the kingdoms at that day. But no, they said, listen, I'll run to the nearest prophet. I'll run to the nearest preacher. And hold it. This is the only time she shows up in Scripture. Oh, but she knew how to present the word of the Lord. She knew how to deliver the word of God. And they heard that word, and they returned back to Josiah king received the word. He received it as though it could have been from Jeremiah, Isaiah, or any of the great prophets of that day. But he said, listen, it's the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter who it's coming from. It's the word of the Lord. And from that point on, he said, we got to set things in order. we got to have revival. We've got to have revival. It's not enough just to do away with bad things. We've got to set up some good things. And the Bible says, as I bring this message to a close, that he set up the Passover, which happens the first month of the year on the 14th day. And they said that Josiah, he began to bring animals. And all of his governors and his leaders, they begin to bring animals for sacrifice. What that tells me is that the leaders, ah, the leaders said, you know what? We're going to lead the revival. We are going to give. We are going to invest. We are going to sacrifice because leaders are supposed to lead. And what a wonderful thing it is when they lead righteously and they lead in sacrifice and they lead God. And the Bible records that there was no Passover like the Passover in Josiah's reign.
This happened in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, which means the same year he started the restoration project of the temple, the same year that he started that building project, in the same year they found time to have the Passover, and they celebrated it like they had never celebrated it before, and you better believe that it honored the Lord, and God was pleased with it, and they had revival. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. As you stand, would you lift up your hands up toward the Lord and say, Lord, we want revival. I pray that you would lead us to a revival of righteousness, a revival in our personal lives, in our homes, that will do away with everything that distracts, everything that destroys, everything that deceives, everything that discourages, Lord, and takes away from our relationship with you. Let us be as Josiah. Let us hear the word of the Lord. I pray that we will recognize that if we're to have revival, we're going to invest in our children. I pray for parents in this room that they will pour into their children and their young people, that they would mind what their children and young youth do and watch and hear. But I pray even more than that, that we personally will build some altars in our home, that we would understand that it's not enough to do away with that which is evil, but we've got to hear the word of the Lord. We've got to restore worship and sacrifice. We've got to give of ourselves our time and our treasure. Lift up your hands, church fam, voice, as we close out this service. Father, we need you. Lord, we call upon you. Listen, it doesn't matter what your heritage might look like. It doesn't matter what home you may have came from. It doesn't matter like Josiah. You could have had wicked, a wicked parent or a wicked grandparent, but you can do something that completely changes the course of your legacy. In the name of Jesus, have your way in our lives. Lead us by your spirit. We thank you, Jesus. Have your way, oh Lord God. Have your way in us. Lead us by your spirit. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Bible says we've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light so that we might show forth the praises of him who has called us. We show praise by how we choose to live. Not just in our hearts, how we choose to think or how we choose to ponder things, but no, I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to follow the paths that perhaps those that before me, they forsook, they abandoned. But God, I'm going to rebuild those paths of righteousness. And I know that you have a word to order my steps right there in those paths. Hallelujah. Make no mistake, Josiah was an ordinary man. He was a man that was vulnerable. In fact, the end of his life, let me share this in closing, because I, I, I do believe that it will encourage someone. Perhaps you hear about Josiah's life and you think, you, you know, I, that's, I'm not Josiah. Josiah was an ordinary man, vulnerable. The Bible says that his life ended this way. That he saw that the king of Egypt arose and he was going to go into battle. And Josiah decided to step in and get involved. And the king of Egypt said, listen, don't have anything to do, get out of my way. I'm doing what God told me to do. Not just his God, the God of, of creation. 
Josiah insisted. The Bible says Josiah died in battle. An extraordinary man that led revival. My point is this. He was still an ordinary man that was vulnerable, that could make mistakes. But he made some good choices. He made some decisions to follow the Lord. Let us go from this place, heeding this example, and living by its truth. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen. You are dismissed.